0: These men and women in my office will continue to
1: follow the law and count every legal vote. We don't see anything in
2: slowing us down, very frankly. I will spare no effort, none, or any commitment to turn around this pandemic.
3: Hello, I'm Jason Dick, and this is The Transition, a special edition of Political Theater. It's Wednesday, November 11th. More than one week after the election, President Donald Trump may be refusing to participate in the presidential transition process, but Congress, even with some uncalled races, is looking toward next year's start of the 117th Congress. Senators-elect started showing up on Monday in order to take part in leadership elections. and new member orientation for members of the House starts on Thursday and will continue over the next couple of weeks. Some of the Republicans who have echoed the president's baseless questioning of the validity of the election are, nevertheless, expected to attend that new member orientation. They are not putting their own transitions on hold, in other words. And now that we know the results of Alaska's Senate race, which Republican Dan Sullivan has won, according to the Associated Press, it's for sure we will not know whether Republicans or Democrats will be in the majority in the Senate next year until the two, yes two, Georgia Senate runoffs happen on January 5th. As it stands, the current lineup is 50 Republicans and 48 Democrats. Included in that new class of House members are a record number of Republican women. Here is CQ Roll Call's Catherine Tully McManus to discuss some of the demographics of the new class.
1: Democrats may have won the White House and the House of Representatives, but Republican women made significant gains on election day and are on track to break records in Congress. More Republican women will serve in the 117th Congress than ever before. At least 27 are heading to Washington, and that's not even a final count because some races still remain uncalled. But that is still already marking a milestone. At least 15 will be newcomers to Congress, which is already two more than the total number of House GOP women serving in 2020. Many are probably already in Washington tonight, ahead of new member orientation, which starts Thursday morning. The 2018 midterms brought a deluge of firsts and trailblazing diversity to the House, led mostly by women of color within the Democratic caucus. Democrats also took control of the House that year, which put these new faces in an extreme spotlight. Julie Conway, Executive Director of ViewPAC, which supports Republican women running for office, told me yesterday that the success of Democratic women in 2018 was a wake-up call. Of the 227 Republican women who filed to run for the House this year, 90 were nominated. That's a record. And nearly 70% above the previous high of 53 in 2004. That's according to the Center for American women and politics at Rutgers University. Women won almost every district that Republicans flipped this year. That's a strong showing that brings credibility to the argument that conservative women can win competitive seats if they can survive a primary and make it to the general election. You know, if you get a, a um, you know, middle-aged white guy to win a primary because the base is all out behind him and, and the, you know, the good old boys are out supporting him, if he doesn't stand a chance in November, who cares? There was no single formula for a winning candidate this year among GOP women. The new class come from a variety of backgrounds. Some served in state houses, some were gun rights activists, and others were complete newcomers to electoral politics. Conway emphasized that having the candidate fit the district is, remains the most important element in getting women elected.
3: Today is Veterans Day. It marks the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month when the armistice ending World War I was signed. That conflict was once called the War to End All Wars. More than 100 years later, America finds itself still mired in the longest-running armed conflict in its history in Afghanistan. That war, as well as the one in Iraq, is also changing the makeup of the veterans contingent on Capitol Hill. Mark Satter takes stock of the veterans in Congress.
2: As the results of down-ballot races come into view more than a week after election day, we now have a better understanding of just how many lawmakers in the coming Congress are veterans. Come January, there will be about 80 veteran lawmakers in total on the Hill. 15 of them will be new to Washington. That's fewer veterans on Capitol Hill than at almost any point since the 1970s. Back then, at least 70% of lawmakers in both chambers were veterans. And this is not surprising. The proportion of veteran lawmakers has been steadily declining for the past 50 years. But the coming group of veteran lawmakers is still interesting, despite its size. Many of them are older millennials who sought out military experience following 9-11. Between seven and nine incoming lawmakers, depending on the outcomes of races that have not yet been called, will be veterans of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, joining two dozen of their fellow service members on Capitol Hill. And some of these younger veterans have different ideas about war and how the U.S. should be involved in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. There's Marine Corps Captain Jake Auchincloss, a Democrat from Massachusetts, and former Army Reservist Peter Meyer, a Republican from Michigan. They're both opposed to long-term, boots-on-the-ground involvement in conflicts overseas, and they're not the only ones. So we could see some of these younger veteran lawmakers put pressure on the incoming presidential administration and congressional leaders to be more selective in their use of force abroad. This cycle was also interesting from a demographic perspective. 24 women veterans earned major party nominations for House seats this year. That's double the amount of women veterans who did so in 2018. But because of the competitive nature of so many races this cycle, we don't know yet if the total number of women veterans in Congress will change. That said, the new class of veteran lawmakers will likely be distinctive for its age, its high-profile members, and their approach to national security.
3: And now we turn to Jim Saxa, who covers financial services and labor, on what the Biden administration might be able to do in those sectors during the 117th Congress.
0: First things first, what Biden will be able to do on economic policy depends entirely on the Georgia runoffs. If Democrats win both seats, they'll get to set the Senate's agenda and use reconciliation to pass some bills by a simple majority. That means things like a major tax overhaul and a big green infrastructure package would be on the table. But Democrats already dim hopes for ending the filibuster and ushering in a whole suite of progressive proposals were snuffed out by their own Joe Manchin on Tuesday. Speaking to Fox News, the West Virginian pledged to fight off the filibuster's would-be killers. When they talk about ending the filibuster, I will not vote to do that. And if it's Republicans that keep the Senate, some Democrats worry that Biden will have a hard time just filling his cabinet, let alone passing laws. But Jason Rosenstock, a former Democratic congressional staffer and lobbyist at Thorne Run Partners, thinks there's still some potential to enact incremental legislation on economic issues like trade and corporate governance.
2: I think the question that's out there, and it's unanswered, is are Democrats prepared to play small ball and have a couple of, you know, a couple of wins? Or they want to try to swing for the fences and maybe
0: strike out? A lot of what Democrats will be able to do depends on where the Republicans decide to take their own party in the post-Trump era. Wells King, a research director at the center-right think tank American Compass, thinks that the GOP should embrace Trump's economic nationalism, even though it runs counter to the party's traditional affinity for free markets. That would mean working with Joe Biden on elements of his Build Back Better plan, like reshoring supply lines and passing another big COVID relief bill. But King thinks some Republicans will want to go back to worrying about the national debt instead.
1: I I do think that the rumors and talk that sort of the 2010-era party of fiscal restraint will come back is a a very real possibility.
0: Either way, with a
1: GOP-controlled
0: Senate, all eyes will be on who Biden picks to run his administration. And that's another area where Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell can exert his power. More progressive picks like Elizabeth Warren for Treasury Secretary or Bernie Sanders at Labor would be a no-go with McConnell holding the gavel. Instead, there will be an emphasis on finding nominees who the Senate has already confirmed.
3: Oh, the fate of Biden's economic plans may come down to those January 5th runoffs in Georgia. So for the next five weeks, there will be just one thing on Washington's mind.
0: Just Sweet song
1: keeps Georgia on my mind.
3: That's going to do it for this edition of Political Theater's The Transition. On behalf of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, thank you for listening.